Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. Thank you to all of you who have made gifts of support to Veritas during this very trying time. We're working to bring uplifting conversation and faithful Catholic teaching to everyone who can hear us. You can all help by going to www.veritascatholic.com. The Vatican recently announced that Father Michael McGivney, the founder of the Knights of Columbus, will be beatified this fall. So today, Bishop Frank is going to talk about Father McGivney and the sainthood process, as well as we're going to look at Father Stanley Rother and Blessed Solanus Casey on today's show. We'd like to thank our weekly sponsor, the Knights of Columbus Museum. Please visit the museum online at kofcmuseum.org and check out its weekly webinars. These programs are free, enjoyable, and educational. Again, that's kofcmuseum.org. Hey all, I'm Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network, and it's my great honor as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, uh, it's great to be with you, and I'm excited about our topic, which yeah. is uh, sainthood and some priests here in the United States yes. who are on their way to sainthood. It's tremendous. Huh? It's very exciting. So um, the Vatican uh, has approved a miracle attributed to Father Michael McGivney, and so as you said, he's going to be beatified, which is obviously mm -hmm. on the way to sainthood. And mm -hmm. so there's so much we can talk about with Father McGivney. You know, he's a Connecticut native. He founded the Knights of Columbus. Um, mm -hmm. We can talk about his miracle. But maybe uh, to start, um, would you like to give us a, a quick look at his life? Well, you know, may I suggest that yes. before we even do that, why don't we kind of review the whole process by which a person can become a servant of God and venerable and then blessed and a saint. Because I don't think many people really understand how elaborate and important the process is. Is that is that fair before? That's, I think that's great. And you know what? Let's even take one step further back, Excellency, and start with mm -hmm. what is a saint? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that, that's a great question. In the early church, the Christians called each other saints. Huh. And... In effect, a saint is one who is sanctified in the life of Jesus Christ. That in, from our perspective, has gone into the mystery of death. And we believe with, with uh, moral certainty that they are now with God and enjoy the presence of God in heaven. And therefore, there are many saints, those known and those unknown. So the Feast of All Saints, for example, celebrates all the saints, all those sanctified in Jesus Christ who have gone through the mystery of death and have been found worthy to, for eternal life in heaven. So that could be one's mother, one's grandmother, as well as Our Lady and St. Anthony and St. Joseph and everyone in between. Okay. So our purpose in life is to strive for sanctity, right? Because we want to go to heaven. So one could say, the sole purpose of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is to be sanctified in his life and spirit and one day go to heaven. That is what our purpose is, to go to heaven. Yes. So is it not true to say our purpose, really our goal, is to become a saint one day? Right. right? So it's not so much pride, it's just the hope that we have in faith. Yes. So the process of canonizing certain people 
doesn't preclude the fact that there are many more not publicly recognized who are, are saints as well. Right? right. But the process is fascinating. Yes. Because the process is very scientific in certain aspects of it. And it's very deliberative and takes a very long time, ordinarily. Could take 20, 30 years right, for it to come to completion. I think, for example, Father McGivney's cause has been open for a very long time. It could be as well as 20 years before we've gotten to the point where he is going to be beatified. Right. right. So do you remember when John Paul died and in the piazza on his funeral, what were the people crying out in Italian? Santo subito, santo subito, now. right. Yes. Now, get moving. <laughs> and... And in some ways, um, it shows how the process is a little bit flexible because ordinarily, when a person dies, the cause for his or her sanct uh, sanct um, recognition as a saint, you know, the process to become canonized, um, has to wait at least five years before it can even begin. Hmm. Mother Teresa and John Paul II were the two exceptions in the last 40, 50 years. Yes. Right. So wherever the person was born, wherever the person ministered, can open a cause. And a cause is a four-step process, right? First is that we seek to have the cause approved by the congregation in Rome of saints so that a person is recognized as a servant of God. Then a tribunal is established in the diocese, and the purpose of that tribunal is to put all of the writings and all of the testimony and everything they could possibly gather on the person and put it all together so that it can be examined. His life, his and or her life. Exactly. And yes. that could be 20, 30, 40 volumes. Uh, just for example, uh, Fulton Sheen. Uh, the, the amount of material they must have put together could have filled a room. Right. right. Then it has to be examined, it has to be read to make sure there's nothing contrary to the faith, nothing scandalous, that the person has lived a moral life, virtuous life, et cetera, et cetera. Then all of that, it's called the positio, goes to the congregation of saints. And they appoint a, what is called a relator, a person who then makes sure it's all done correctly, and then the congregation examines it. So that's another process, another set of eyes. And then a theological commission is set up that votes affirmatively or negatively, and presuming that the vote is affirmative, right, sent to the Holy Father if he approves it, then the person is called venerable. Step one, right? A decree of heroic virtue of a servant of God is issued. So that's step one. That's before you become a blessed. And then from that point on, it really is a question of miracles. Yeah. Right? But that's sticky. That's a sticky business, miracles. Yeah. For example, uh, Father McGivney's first proposed miracle was not accepted as a miracle by the Congregation of Saints. Ah, interesting. The second one was because there has to be both a scientific examination and a theological examination. So the scientific examination, its all purpose is, is there a cause? Can we determine that there was a cause for this to have happened? So this disappearance of cancer, 
this uh, miraculous ability for a person to walk that came spontaneously. Is there any medical possible reason, right? If there right. is, then it ends. But if there isn't, then the Theological Commission takes a look at it because it has to be two criteria that are met. First, that its nature can only be attributed to God. Mm -hmm. And secondly, that the intercession has to be solely that of the person in question, mm -hmm. you know, the potential blessed in question. So for example, if someone had a miraculous cure and there's no medical explanation, but the person was praying to our blessed lady and St. Anthony and uh, Solinus Casey. Right. Well, then how would you know it was really uh, Folly Casey's intercession? Yes. Right? So you realize it's actually very difficult to yeah. get a miracle approved. But when it's done, so when the, the Theological and, and Scientific Commission and the congregations of, uh, of saints mo moves it on to the Pope and says, yes, there's a miracle, the Holy Father has to approve it. Yeah. And then you become blessed. And that is what a Father McGivney is, right? That's what yeah. just, it just happened, literally, I think, what, a week ago, two weeks ago, whatever it was. Right, mm -hmm. right. And the church can take its time because it's in, it's in no rush to prove itself or to, it, it doesn't need, you know, it, quote, doesn't need more saints. So they right. just want to make sure it's done. Right. It's true. Right. right. And what's interesting is Pope Francis has not celebrated the masses of beatification. And, I'm, I, and if I recall correctly, even Pope Benedict did not celebrate the masses, all the masses of beatification. I think the only one he celebrated was for John Paul. Hmm. Right? Because the Pope waits for the second miracle, if there is one, to be approved, because that is when the, a blessed is declared a saint. And then the Holy Father does that, celebrates that in Rome. Right. Yeah. So it's amazing, isn't it? Right? It, it is. And the... And um, the other thing is the church, I know, is very strict also about its um, examination of miracles. Uh, I mean, it's, it's in, on display in, say, Lourdes. The Lourdes Medical Commission has investigated something like over 8,000 claims of cures, but they've only verified 70 of them as miracles. Right, right. Which is not to say that the others are not miracles right. necessarily but they haven't fit this criteria, which is particularly onerous. It is yes. made that way so that there can be no doubt that it is a miracle attributed through God's grace by the sole intercession of the person that is being examined for possible beatification or sainthood. So there's probably many others. Uh, God's grace is, has no bounds. God's yes. mercy has no bounds, right? So, I mean, there's plenty of miracles going on, but... Yeah. You know, in fact, you've heard me say before, many times people witness miracles and ascribe it to luck or good fortune or chance when it's not. Right. No, it's, it's the direct intervention of God. Yeah. So, so they, they, they study the person's life thoroughly to make sure they lived mm -hmm. a life of heroic virtue. This doesn't mean they were mm -hmm. sinless. It just means that they, um, that they um, were always striving to serve Jesus. Right. The saints, with one exception, were not sinless. Right. Except Our Lady. Yes. Who was sinless. Everyone else was a sinner. You're absolutely right. And had to go through conversion. The truth of the matter is, some saints were ornery. Absolutely ornery. St. <laughs> Cyril of Alexandria. And the only reason I know that is because I, I wrote my doctoral dissertation on St. Cyril. 
and the notion of recreation, you know, the, the end things when creation is healed. And, and what a character he was. <laughs> temper? St. Jerome had an awful temper. Yeah. And St. Cyril of Alexandria actually bribed the emperor. Now imagine this, bribed the emperor <laughs> uh, to put Nestorius, his nemesis, at a disadvantage. And yet he's still a saint, right? Because a saint does not have to be perfect, and a saint is certainly not sinless. But to your point, a, a saint needs to be a person who is on the road ever more to greater holiness, constant conversion. Yeah. Right? Yeah. P you know, Peter Kreeft, uh, he said that, um, you know, there feels like, to many people, there feels like there's such a chasm between us and the saints. And we, and we think about how can we do that? How can we do that? And he said, there comes a point where the how needs to stop. The question of how needs to stop. And we just do it. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Well, uh, everyone who's listening to our podcast, if I were to ask them, picture in your mind a person who strove to be faithful to Jesus, who may not have been perfect, but really tried to live an authentic, faithful life, who always worried about their neighbor versus themselves, who loved their family and did their work faithfully. I'm ima I can imagine every single one of us can think of one or two individuals. This is exactly what you're saying, right? Yeah. Yeah. With all God's grace, they are in heaven and they're praying for us. They're interceding for us. Good Lord, we need the prayers. <laughs> <laughs> so, there, so the church recognizes certain people as saints with a capital S to be kind of like role models for us. Yes, I was going to ask you, so why? Why would we do this? Why? For a number of reasons. You hit the nail on the head. Okay, because... Living Christian life is like a great, beautiful, interweaved mosaic that there are a thousand different ways to live it authentically. And while the Lord, perfect, obviously, um, he, even in his earthly life, did not necessarily demonstrate to us how a father of four married who's a lawyer is going to live the mission he gave. Right? He mm -hmm. lived a particular human life. So we have in the communion of saints every possible imaginable state of life, vocation, country, language, era, conflict, challenge. So they're there to, to be our witness, right? To be our inspiration. Yeah. And when growing up, did you not have favorite saints? Did you, stories you learned about? I mean, I always liked... Um the soldier saints. Like, oh, oh uh, really? Yeah, like, well, like Ignatius of Loyola was a soldier oh, yeah. and then took that military um, perspective mm -hmm. to serve God. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. When I was really little, I liked the story of St. George because he mm -hmm. slayed a dragon. Right. So. right. Well, oh, that's a streak in you there, militaristic streak <laughs> in you, my friend. Wow, we're learning more, more stuff about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, my hair's I, getting uh, long, so it's the opposite. <laughs> See, I, on the other hand, was, was of course, Our Lady, always factor, because my mother had a phenomenal devotion to Our Lady. Yes. But of the other saints, uh, I was more into the religious life. So it was Anthony uh -huh. and Francis. Mm. Francis fascinated me. And when I learned about his life when I was in grammar school, it was just fascinating to see um, 
how single-hearted he was. And quite frankly, how he didn't care what anybody else had to say, which is a streak in my life that I attribute to Francis's incestion. Because up to a certain point, I really don't care what anybody else thinks. I have to do what's right. Yeah. Right? And if I fall on my face, my hope, my hope is I'd be the first one to admit I did that. Yeah. And ask for forgiveness. But he was just, as much as he appears to be gentle and meek and a pushover, no, I think there was a, a zealous, ferocious, in the true sense of the word, side to Francis that yes. was just convicted. And of course, Anthony was a great preacher who could, who could use words to break open people's hearts. Mm. Okay, you don't need violence because violence is, is an awful thing. Yes. But, but the only thing you need to do is allow your words to just settle into someone's heart if you are a preacher who's trying to preach in the mind of Jesus. And let it just sit there. And it will slowly open a person's heart up. See, that was Anthony. So, I'm, you know, it's the religious. Yes. Growing up. Yeah. Growing up. Because I was Jesuit trained, so Ignatius also has factored very much in my life as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's get to um, Father McGivney. Father McGivney. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because he's mm -hmm. going to be the first, I think he's going to be the first American parish priest to be beatified. Um, um, uh, was it, uh, well, oh, I'm sorry. Was it Stanley? Stanley Rother. Yes. He's, yeah, my mistake. Um, yeah, he was. He was. Yes. Although he really he only served just a few years in the United States in a parish. He basically spent most of his ministry in Guatemala. That's where he was murdered as a martyr, yes. right? Yep. Right. Yeah. So, but Father McGivney was an archdiocesan priest of Hartford. Yep. Right? So son right next door to where I am. Yeah, son of yeah. Connecticut. He served at St. Mary's in New Haven. Yes. Right? Which from here, in the, from the Chancery in Bridgeport, is maybe not even 25 miles, not even 25 yes. miles away. Yep. He, was, what I find interesting of McGivney, a lot of things. First of all, he only lived to be, if I'm not mistaken, 38 years old. Mm -hmm. So he was a young man when he died. He was the son of immigrants, wasn't he? Irish yes. immigrants. Yep. I forget how many ch brothers and sisters he had. I think they, he had 13. Right? Yeah, yeah. They had, and he was three the of eldest them. of 13. Yes, and three of them became priests, including Father McGivney. Oh, so that must be, wow, for the two that didn't. That, that, must, that must be an issue in heaven. <laughs> but, but you see now, so he, it was he and 12 others, 13, three died, right? Three were priests. Um, so his life was animated by the immigrant experience, right? and all of the hardships that immigrants had. In those days, it would have been the Irish and German immigrants. To acclimate to the United States, to find employment, and many of them died young. And what would you do when you die? How do you care for the family when they're gone? Yes. And that, right, is the genesis of the Knights of Columbus. Yes which is one of the largest insurance companies in the United States now, a century plus later. But at the beginning, it was really, its genesis was to provide protection, mm -hmm. aid. This was a fraternal organization so that if someone died, right, 
that they, their family, his family, particularly if, he, if it was the father, would have some protection. And if I'm not mistaken, Father McGivney's father himself died. Yeah. Yeah. And left and left McGivney to have to leave the seminary to help support his family. So, so what's interesting is that this is a priest, a believer, faithful, who took his faith and put it into action. Yes. And what's interesting is he died in the pandemic of 1890. Right. He was the victim of a pandemic. He died from pneumonia. That's why he lived to such a, a brief age of 38. Yeah. Um, so his cause opened, I believe, in 95 or 96. Now it's 2020. So what is that? 24 years. To my point of how long it could sometimes take to get this, to get a, a, a person in the process. Yes. But I think for the Knights of Columbus, who are, I think, the largest fraternal organization in the United States. They have to be. I think in the world, maybe. In the world. Yeah. Who give hundreds of millions of dollars worth of aid yes. and charitable assistance to the church in the third world, to the poor in the United States. Um, all of this stems from the work of one man. Isn't that remarkable? It's amazing. Yeah. And, and people wonder to themselves, what difference can I make? You have no idea what, what your life, the difference your life can make. If it is in grace, right? right. Yep. If, it's, if it's in the mind of Jesus, because you're not the one doing it, the Lord Jesus is doing it. Yeah. Yeah. The how question so has now, to stop. You have just have to do it. So now the big question is, when is this beatification mass going to be celebrated? because it will be celebrated here in Connecticut. Right. Yeah. Right? And I'm hoping in the fall, and I'm hoping, please God, that you know, we would be able to have a celebration that is bigger than a few hundred people. I mean, depending on what the pandemic and what, what situation we find ourselves. Yeah, right? yeah. I, yeah, I imagine that the knights at least would come out in force if, they're, uh, oh. if we're allowed. Oh my God, there'd be tens of thousands. I, 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 I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, I no, think I... there would be an army of individuals who will come. But presuming we can come. Yeah. So we will have to see how events unfold. Yeah. Uh, he, was, was, he was born, I guess he lived in Waterbury. I'm not sure he was born in Waterbury. I think he was born in but Waterbury, yes. He was born in Waterbury. So what a great... A blessing for the priests of Connecticut, most especially the priests of the Archdiocese of Hartford. Right. Now they have their, one of their own as a role model, yeah. as a heroic witness. And after all the scandals we have lived through and with all of the critique and in many ways how some priests have just been demoralized and need some sort of encouragement and, and a role model to strive after. I mean, Father McGivney could be all of that and more. Yeah, yeah. And his, mm -hmm. he was all about rolling up your sleeves, empowering the laity to um, do service to the community right. and to the families. Right. Ah. right, 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 right. Great priest. So if I, if I may just offer a, a side comment. I think it is an act of grace in the timing of his beatification. 
Because in effect, if Father McGivney, the inspiration for his heroic life, rested in his immigrant background, his parents' immigrant background, his parents' immigrant background, then perhaps the Lord is telling us that we as a church need to look at how we are serving our immigrant brothers and sisters and to learn from Father McGivney of how we can be of assistance to them in an equally difficult time in the midst of a pandemic. Yeah. I think there's a lot for us to think through. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what's nice for those of us in Connecticut is that his tomb is right there in New Haven in St. Mary's Church. So mm-hmm. you can go in and you can, you can visit. It's right, actually, it's right near our, um, our sponsors, the Knights of Columbus Museum. So you mm-hmm. can make it a, a two-for-one trip. Yes, literally. Isn't that kind of like down the road? Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. It's also, it's, I don't think it's far from Yale either, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yeah, Yale's right there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, mm-hmm. okay, so we're going to take a break, and uh, we have plenty to talk about when we come back. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Okay, welcome back. This is Let Me Be Frank, featuring Bishop Frank Caggiano. We're talking about uh, some uh, American-born blesseds. Um, we just spoke about Father McGivney and uh, the tremendous organization he put together, the Knights of Columbus. Um, he's going to be beatified, hopefully, this fall in Connecticut. And um, just a couple years ago, we had uh, two other um, American-born priests and uh, who were beatified, and um, we should talk about them. So, Excellency, let's let's start with uh, Father Stanley Rother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he interesting man, right? Because he was a missionary at heart. Yes. He was born in 1935. So he was born just a few years before the outbreak of the Second World War in Oklahoma. Right. He grew up on a farm, the oldest of the children of his family, so his siblings, he was the oldest. And for what I can gather in everything I've read about him, he lived what you would consider just like a kind of normal life. He attended school, played sports, He was an altar survey, went to high school, I mean, right? Yes. And he discerned a vocation to priesthood, and he went to seminary, I believe in Texas, and completed his seminary work in Emmitsburg, Maryland, at Mount St. Mary's Seminary. And he was ordained a priest when I was four years old, 1963, Hmm. okay? So again, to contextualize it, right around the time of the assassination of President Kennedy, right? Yes. And he did serve in a parish, right, for five years here yes. in the United States. Right. But he had a missionary heart, did he not? Yeah. And he wanted to serve in the mission, and he went to his diocese mission in Guatemala, and he fell in love. He fell in love with the people there. And 
he learned to speak Spanish and the native language of the region of Guatemala. Yeah. And yeah. just just imagine that. Yeah. The effort to do that, right? To wind he, up in a mission, right? Yes, and he's a guy who he struggled to learn Latin in the seminary. So the fact mm -hmm. that he was able to learn those other two languages. Um, grace, grace, yeah. and grace. But what we could imagine is that besides the struggle of language and enculturation, the poverty of the region was astounding. Um, in many parts of the northern highlands of Guatemala, it's still very poor. Mm -hmm. CRS, for example, has large outreach there to try to stave people from the, from the perennial threat of starvation, particularly when crops fail. And now, if I may add this, with the COVID-19 pandemic, and many times in, in Latin America, now that the epicenter has basically moved into Latin America of the pandemic, with stay-at-home orders, you know, uh, people who are at the cusp of food insecurity. If you can't plant, you can't harvest. If you can't harvest, you can't eat. So as it was true then, as it's true now, still now in certain parts of Guatemala and other parts of Latin America, people, the, the daily struggle is just to make sure you have enough food for your family. Right. So, so Blessed Stanley went and he, even though it was poor, he, he fell in love with the people. He gave them his entire life. And he was a farmer, so he helped them to farm. Now that's faith in action, my gosh. Yes. <clears throat> Talk about rolling but up then, your sleeves. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. But as is true in Latin America, in the history of Latin America, as is true in many parts of Africa, uh, as was true in Europe in, in the 18th and 19th century, it was torn by political strife. And unfortunately, as is true in many different times, those who are doing Christ's work stand with no political party. They stand for the truth and they stand for charity and they stand for justice. So you're in the crosshairs of both sides. And I think that's a fair way to describe what happened to uh, uh, Blessed Stanley. He, he was... He, he became a marked man, right? He became a marked man. Yeah. And if I remember correctly the story, he did come home to the United States for a brief time, but his heart was in Guatemala. His heart was with the people. Yes. And knowing full well that he was a marked man, he went back to serve the people. Yeah. And within a few months of going back, he, uh, three men um, in the middle of the night entered his rectory and murdered him. Yep. And of course, and of course, no one's ever found, no one's held responsible. It is what it is, right? In the chaos of those ages. And now, of all the things I've read about this man, this I find to be the most remarkable. That after his death, the people of that region so loved this priest that they requested that his heart be kept in Guatemala 
where it is enshrined to this very day. So you talk about the heart of a priest, yeah. the heart of a missionary, of a man who loves his people. This is it, right? Yeah. And so he was recognized as a martyr, okay, which is a slightly different process because right. you don't necessarily need a miracle to become, to be declared a martyr because the act of martyrdom itself is considered an extraordinary act of grace yes. if it's done because of uh, hatred of the faith. Right. So he was recognized as a martyr, again, Pope Francis. So Pope Francis recognized Father McGivney and Pope Francis recognized Father Rotha. Too. Uh, and I believe he's the first martyr from the United States as a U.S.-born priest. He is the first U.S.-born priest, wow. all right, to be a martyr and to be now beatified, right, yeah. which I think occurred at the end of 2017. Well, I think it was September, October of 2017. Yes, September, yes. September of 2017. Yeah. And he, he went back, when he fled um, Guatemala to go back home to Oklahoma, I mean, he knew exactly what the situation was in, in Guatemala because already hundreds of thousands of Catholics had been killed. The church was kind of being attacked by all sides, the government and the, mm -hmm. the rebels. And, and, and so he knew. And I love um, the quote when he was back home in Oklahoma. And he said, a shepherd cannot run at danger. Mm -hmm. I don't want to abandon my flock when the wolves are making attacks. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah, and it, 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 what's amazing about it is, well, many things. Number one, he's a diocesan priest, but he's a missionary at heart. Yes. Because these people are his adopted family. Right? And number two, to have the personal courage and peace of mind and heart to know you're going back with a question mark and a price on your head is itself a remarkable grace. Yeah. Because in the quiet of the night when I, you know, am in bed and thinking about many things, if the question crossed my mind, would I have gone back? Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure what, how I would answer that question. You know, I, I myself personally, without God's grace, I don't know if I could. With God's grace, you could. So in my mind, to be able to do that with peace is a clear demonstration of sanctity of life. Yes. Because you could not do it without God's help. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellency, let's, um, let's talk about uh, Blessed Solanus Casey. Um, I, I, I love, love this man. Oh, what I a love story. this man. Yes. Right. All right. Tell me, what's the one aspect of his life that strikes you the most? Uh, his um, simplicity, mm -hmm. and, and and you know he just he served, he served God with um, a humility and um, a confidence, a confidence because uh, he used to tell people to ask God for things, and he said thank God ahead of time and have confidence that He's going to answer your prayers. Absolutely. Yeah. And. He was, he was not a great intellect. Right. He struggled to get into seminary. In fact, he was ordained what, what is called a simplex priest. So what is that, Excellency? A simplex priest is a priest who has, you know, truly 
uh, a priestly disposition, a priestly heart, but may not have the education or the intellectual capability of preaching or administering the sacrament of confession, for example, where you have to give advice and all the rest. Uh, in the Middle Ages, they were common. See, they became less common along the way. And I think that's part of the reason why he went into the Capuchin order. Because I think in the traditional seminaries of diocesan life, it would have been very hard for him to have been accepted into the work. Right. But you see, simplicity does not equal stupidity, which is what the world wants you to believe. Yes. Simplicity in my mind, speaks of single-hearted purpose. That you are smarter than most people who may be better educated, not to worry or fret over the things that do not matter and do not last. But make one's life focused on the one, the good, the true, the beautiful, who's Jesus. And his simplicity allowed him to actually be a tremendous inspiration to many people and, and to the sick, to the sick. See, my experience has been, if someone suffers well in life, they develop a compassionate heart, an empathetic spirit, and are able to deal with those who are suffering in a way where their actions and attitudes speak louder than their words. And if I could be so bold, Solanus Casey is the exact example of that. Mm -hmm. He did not preach in the pulpit, but his life preached more eloquently, powerfully, and persuasively than most priests, most of the time, myself included. So, when we say simplex, what is simplex? God is the one, the simple, right? Hmm. The simple. So, so as Casey stands in many ways as a person who gives a great holy reproach to all that the world considers to be very important and, you know, and that which you should strive for, but the world gets it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When I try to, he's, he's, uh, he should be such a, uh, uh, an example for me because, you know, I, if I try to put myself in his position, I entered the seminary, I want to become a captain, and then I'm in charge of the altar boy schedule and manning the door. I'm just, I feel like I definitely, so many people would be like, well, but I could do more than that. But, you know, you don't, you're not putting me really to use. But he took that position. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Excellency, he served God through that position. And so that people recognized it and they would line up just to talk to him at the door. Right, right, right. Another interesting thing about this, this, this blessed is that he's from the Midwest. Just like Blessed Stanley was. He was also from a farming family. Interesting connection. Number six of 16 children. So you imagine what dinner looked like in that house. (laughs) Right? And in a world where the attention has to all be me. It's all about me. It's just me. Not you. Not about me. 
Uh, when you have 16 brothers, 15 brothers and sisters, it can't only be about you. It's, right. it's not, right? It's a, yeah. So there's that disposition, right? It's the fertile soil. So Jesus, in his parables about seeds and sowing and the earth, right, and, and the, the gathering of fish and harvest, and there is something we have lost in the contemporary world by being disconnected to that which is so basic. But these two blessings had it, right? And again, yeah. he was, if I, if I remember correctly, he was the son of immigrants also. Okay. Right? Yeah. Irish immigrants. So, so, I mean, it's, there's a beautiful story about Blessed Casey. So allow me to just tell it really quickly. Yes. He loved the violin and he played it. I don't know how well he played it, but he played it. <laughs> and he had, he had a, a childhood issue, medical issue, that impaired his voice a bit. So his singing was, let's put it this way, it was not good. <laughs> right? And there is famous stories of, you know, at time for entertainment with the, with, the, with the friars, he would take out his violin and sing. And, you know, I guess the friars trying to be somewhat polite, but they'd start coughing and rolling <laughs> eyes. You know how people are. <laughs> right. And so he would politely, you know, go off and many a time whether it was after that meal or in the middle of the night would play his violin for an audience of one before the tabernacle mm. to offer to the Lord what he could give so what calls to mind in my mind what calls to mind is the widow's might right? Right. you give all that you have and the world and your confreres and whoever else may think it's not good enough, but quite frankly, with the world and with your confreres and everybody else, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> because for the Lord, it's beautiful. Yeah. Right? You see, again, in simplicity, in the complicated world we live in, we've made, what a tremendous gift this man is to teach us and to teach all who are priests in a special way. Right? He's a role model for all of us. And somewhat in this pandemic, maybe he is someone we need to turn to as a witness and a teacher because um, we have been forced into a more simple lifestyle. But is there a way when we go back to whatever normal is to keep that simplicity of spirit with us for our yes. spiritual good? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Both of these, both of these guys, Father Rother and uh, Blessed Solanus Casey, they're so. Uh, I think in some ways, they're so much more um, relatable to ordinary people. I guess maybe because they're American too. But um, you know, like I could never relate to Thomas Aquinas. He's just too smart, and I'm not. Or Joan of Arc because she was in a situation that, you know, I probably will never be in. And not that I can't still aspire and learn from them, but, you know, these guys were kind of ordinary guys who really, and, and Father McGivney too, who said, um, well, here's what I need to do in my life with the people around me. And so I'm gonna do it. 
Um, You're right. Absolutely right. What has happened is the great saints have been romanticized with the passage of history. Sure. That we've lost a lot of the detail and color. And even if we have it, um, we don't have the existential experience that is that fits. So being raised in a small village, I'm making this in Portugal mm-hmm. or in Italy, um, for us, we don't have that experience of little mountaintop. Actually, I do, in, in a sense, in so much as with my parents being raised, I have at least a glimpse of what it kind of could have been like. But, but to talk about the Midwest or to talk about here in Connecticut, to talk about parish life and to talk, yeah, it, it, it's something that, that, that is more, it, it's easier for us to enter into, right? To have a deeper appreciation. I think you're absolutely correct. Absolutely. You know, as a seminarian, a formative presence in my life, who is a saint, is Teresa of Calcutta. Hmm. Not simply because she came to the college seminary to give a talk, which was amazing. Wow. Amazing. But of the many stories that we have heard, the example that she gave, um, and the fact that she remained simple, mission-driven, uncompromising, faithful to Christ. Was she perfect? No. She was a sinner. Mm-hmm. But was she on the road to ever try ever greater conversion? Would I doubt? Would I doubt? Yeah. And what's the reaction of the world? See, ah, what's the reaction of the world? They publish her writings and spin them as if right, she was a doubter of faith. Right. That you have in secular media that they tarnish her because she flew first class when in fact the airline offered her that first class ticket. Right? Why? Because the world does not want reproach. The world does not want to be challenged because then it will be forced to have to admit it needs to change. Yeah. So what do the blesseds and the saints do? They are holy reproaches to everyone else around them, not out of judgment, but out of authenticity. And once you meet a saint, sorry people, whoever, once you meet a saint, you are forever being challenged. When, when I met John Paul, I told you the story. Yes. When I met John Paul, Right, I, I will never forget it. When, when Mother Teresa came to the seminary and gave the talk, I was so bashful, I did not go off and say hello. Because there was something like, it was just like this trepidation. I, mean, I look back and I'd like to kick myself <laughs> for not doing it. <laughs> but I didn't, I just, I, um, yeah, when you meet a saint, yeah. you got the truth, yeah. staring you in the face. Yeah then what do you do with it is your business, right? <laughs> right, that's right, <laughs> yep. By God's grace, you'll see her and get to meet her uh, one day in heaven. Oh, please God. No, I keep joking to my friends, if after all of this, I don't get to heaven, I will be very upset. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to know for the record. <laughs> uh, on, on that note, Excellency, let's take one more break uh, before we come back with questions. We need Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. 
We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Um, Excellency, we got uh, we got a question here, and again, I'm gonna uh, hold it to one this week because it's an important one. It might take some time. It's uh, a question that came in from George in Ridgefield, and his question is, what do you see as the role of the church in responding to the strong and varied reactions in the aftermath of the George Floyd incident? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this a call for all of us to look deep within ourselves regarding our own reactions, and how can church leadership foster and encourage uh, an effort to um, protect those who are marginalized and oppressed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a tremendous question. And it raises some very important issues that are now inescapable. Um, I mentioned before the world does not want to be challenged. And yet there are certain behaviors and attitudes that must be challenged if we're going to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. So George Floyd's death, to watch that video, it's appalling, it's horrific. It, 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 is, it is something I never imagined I would see in, let's say, going on in a, on a street here in the United States. Yeah. And, um, and therefore, it has become the focal point for all of the frustrations that the African-American and Latino communities and other communities who have been struggling for a very long time to have equal access and equal recognition um, they have now, it is boiled over that that which has been simmering, I think, for a very long time. And therefore, the church, first and foremost, has to be an authentic teacher, must teach the truth. Racism, discrimination, and bigotry are offenses against life. They are an abomination and a sin, whether it's done personally or corporately. Okay. And therefore, the church must teach this in season and out of season. That's number one. Number two, the church is also a mother, and the church needs to address the needs of those who are marginalized and those who are victimized in any way and every way we can. But I think church also in its leadership can be a potential voice of dialogue, of of. of conversation that leads to real change. Unfortunately, a lot of conversation leads to more conversation. <laughs> right. right. We need to have real societal change. And change frightens people. And therefore, the church can be, in many ways, an assuring presence to help accompany that change so that that change really does go to the root of what so many people are angry about and have been the victim of economic inequality, inequality in education, and even the pandemic now has even exacerbated because the majority of those who have been unemployed are particularly in uh, those communities that have always been subject to discrimination or racism or economic inequality. Right? So a disproportionate amount of the economic distress in the pandemic is falling upon their shoulders as well. 
Right. But having said all that, the church also needs to remind those who are protesting that violence begets only more violence. Yes. That there is a legitimate way to protest and make one's presence felt and be a catalyst for change, but not inflict harm and injury on innocent people. Because what we do not want is that those who are victimized become those who victimize others. Because then that leads, that does not allow dialogue, it doesn't allow conversation, and it will not allow meaningful change. I know yes. people are inflamed and angry, but we cannot condone that, level, that sort of violence either. Yes. So teach, accompany, all right, and be an agent of dialogue. I think of the three ways church, the church and religious leaders can be of help. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. that's going around that is, um, it's uh, hatred cannot drive out hatred. Only love can do that. That's, he's paraphrasing Jesus, of course, right? Light, darkness cannot drive out darkness. But um, yeah. Right. What, what, and then for us as individual Catholics, Right now, you know, for me, for those folks who are listening, is there something that we can do right now, uh, in your opinion, Excellency? I, I think it's the same three things. Okay. I think first, I think everyone should really take a step back and try to dive into the facts. Let us learn about all that our brothers and sisters are protesting against. Mm -hmm. Let's cut, a, a, and this is where the media is in, it's just a failure. An absolute failure in this country. Because if the whole purpose of media is to give us the information upon which we can make a judgment, that is sorely lacking in the United States. So it's more work, but to find the truth, right? Because then we can accompany those who have been victimized yes. and be of assistance to them as sisters and brothers, and then be a catalyst for conversation and dialogue in neighborhoods and communities and churches and parishes right, and in larger entities around the society. Yeah, great. You know, pray, we've said this before, to listen from the heart and to be docile before the Holy Spirit are essential ingredients to sanctification of life. So I think that is what every one of us can do. Yes, and, and prayer is action. What, the most important action we can take. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. So... Uh, if, uh, if you're listening and you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to questions at veritascatholic.com. That makes it another week and uh, another good show, Bishop Frank. It was great, great, Steve. Thank you for the opportunity to share faith. Huh? Yeah. Thanks again to the Knights of Columbus Museum for sponsoring this program. The Knights of Columbus Museum has been helping Let Me Be Frank bring solid Catholic content to you each week. So please check out kofcmuseum.org for more good content for your family. You can always find Bishop Frank Caggiano on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Veritas is there too. And Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, in this challenging time, send your spirit upon us to bring us healing, to bring us consolation and peace, reconciliation among your children so that we may go forth to be the joyful messengers of salvation in your son, Jesus, for you live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Amen.
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Steve, be well. Enjoy the week. I'll see you next week. Thanks, Excellency. Great. Take care. You too.